Feel that encouragement and love from one's family. We've been going through Acts. They are great kids. Going through Acts. And uh, we're talking about this in the context of a revolution. That is to say that Jesus' kingdom established by defeating sin and death is by its very nature a revolution against the powers and principalities that we were talking about at the end of our Ephesians study. There are these powers and principalities which have infested the world ever since Adam and Eve invited them in by becoming their own deities or attempts at becoming their own deities. That it, death and evil have held sway in this world and there's a revolution of life and light coming into the midst of it. Christianity, by its very definition, because of its founder, will always be an insidious worker against the established norms of cultures that are based sometimes partially on truth and partially on falsehood. That any culture, any given time, is going to have those places where it needs to repent, and those places which celebrate the common goodness of God. And we are skipping uh, a little bit, not really, because Steve's going to come back and preach uh, Peter's sermon for you while I'm gone. We're going to skip Peter's sermon. We're going to jump to the results of both the Holy Spirit being poured out and the kingdom. And if you read those passages uh, right after Peter's amazing sermon on Pentecost in 40, uh, 39 to 40, the people's response is, what do we do? In light of everything you've just preached, what do we do? Now, who is this asking? These are wonderful, middle-class, religious people who've gone to Jerusalem to do their religious duties who are good, good, good people. And they're saying, in light of what we just saw happen to Jesus and what we are capable of when our culture is challenged, what do we do? What do we do? And the response is, head in a different direction. Be washed and follow Jesus. It is a radical call to a change in direction, even for the most normal amongst us. The question itself suggests a necessity of change in the lives of Peter's hearers just as there was a necessity for change in the life of those who heard Jesus a few weeks before. And so it is not just and primarily, when we use the word revolution, a revolution of some political sense. It is far more intimate. It is a revolution in people's lives and hearts to head in a direction that the world keeps telling us is false and faulty and will lead to our own short-term destruction. And Jesus is suggesting that that might not be the best counsel. So let's see what happens then when God's people attempt, at least, to embrace the implications of a kingdom of light and light that is going to undermine the culture of the day. And so that starts for us in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. Hear now God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to one another as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to be merciful as you lead and you guide us patiently. Lord, we know that you took your children out of slavery. You had to lead them through the Red Sea, through a wilderness, Lord, through 40 years, and then finally into the promised land to cross the Jordan again, turning from their own direction in following your lead. We pray, Lord, that as we continue to wrestle with that same tendency as our forebears, that we would, by your Spirit this morning, again, hear your word afresh, your call to follow. And whatever is said, Lord, that is not true, that is a false call, may it be ignored and quickly forgotten. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to uh, focus on uh, just the first section. There's really three kind of sections to this uh, refrain, this, uh, sorry, this summary in 42 through 47. We're going to focus on really just the, the, the Sabbath gatherings, the official gatherings where officials are, oh my gosh, I already blew it. Those worship gatherings described in the first couple of verses. And I want to suggest that uh, what is laid out here is the basic idea that will morph into what becomes Sabbath worship, which becomes Sunday morning worship, uh, and the basic structures there, and the wisdom inherent in what is pursued. We won't be able to, and nor should we, try and get back to an idealized form of what the early church was like, but there is a reality of wisdom in what it looks like for God's people to gather together. And when they do gather together corporately for fellowship and worship and teaching and the sacraments, that it should have an impact on the rest of their life. That it is not surprising that Luke describes what they do corporately and on purpose in worship, in what will develop as worship on the Sabbath, that has an impact on the rest of their lives. At Shalem Valley, we kind of use this as a summary for our understanding of open hearts, open hands, and open doors. That as our hearts are open to the teaching and leading of God through the Word, through the fellowship, through the breaking of bread, the sacraments, through prayer, that we will have greater wisdom and structure and knowledge for what we do the rest of the week. That what we want to do above all else is drive from our hearts and our minds and our tendencies the idea that this is some sort of weird recharge station once a week that is really disconnected to what we do the other six days of the week. That far from that, that what worship is, I don't know if you, do you remember those, those uh, Hot Wheels tracks where you had a track that had loops and circles and it had a battery operated set of wheels 
And so you'd shoot the car through and the car would barely make it through the track and then you'd just get back to where the wheels and then it'd shoot it around again. To some degree, worship is a little bit like that every Sabbath. That is to say that there's a way in which we come in here to be renewed and recharged, but it's more than that because it gives us structure in life that we can understand what's going on. This is where we have context. This is where we get perspective on what happens the other six days of the week. It's not just an energy shot to push us through the next week, but it's actually a way in which we can understand what's happening in the week ahead and know how to wisely respond to it. I want to suggest that there are certain ways in which the liturgy itself, another childhood memory, uh, is a little bit like the activities and practices that uh, the young trainee learned in The Karate Kid. Remember that movie, right? The original one where he has to paint the guy's fence and he doesn't know why he has to paint up and down, up and down and why he has to wax the car exactly a particular way. And then Mr. Miyagi starts slapping him around and he starts realizing that what he was learning how to do was how to block. And it's muscle memory. And there's a way in which the liturgy of the church is designed to build muscle memory into your heart, into your spirit. How do we start praise, it's worship. It's that notion that we're entering the very presence of God. We live in the presence of God all the time. Yes, there's something unique about or wonderful or special or even richer about two or more gathering together. But for heaven's sake, we've all experienced the richness of seeing and meeting God in the beauties of nature and success in our jobs in so many other places. It's not exclusive to worship, but worship gives us a context to where to expect to see God. And then to bring that back in as we come together and to praise, one, uh, praise God as we celebrate His presence with us the rest of the week, even as we gather uniquely to have that presence reinforced and made even more pal palpable in our lives. And I could go through the entire liturgy and step by step, as I've suggested to some of you in the past, each element is learning how to do wax on, wax off. How do I learn to be confessional? How do I breed in myself a willingness to not have to wear a mask and pretend that I'm something other than what I am? Now in Christ I have hope, but I don't have to pretend I don't sin. There shouldn't be unacknowledged hypocrisy in the church. Is there hypocrisy? Sure, because we're sinners who espouse to the standards and ethics of the Almighty. But unconfessed hypocrisy is really awkward. Because then we're denying who we are. So we do confession. But gosh, how painful that would be without assurance. What does it mean to be those people who can hear things from one another, even betrayals, even difficulties, and to forgive the one who speaks to us and to extend grace and mercy in the midst of you see, each one of those becomes a part of what we do. So what are the big elements of building muscle memory that we see in this text? First of all, the apostles' teaching. So again, there is this reality that we need to hear from one another. There's nothing uh, weak in your faith if you can't by yourself open your English translation and figure out everything there is to know about God. There's something about the reality of needing 
God to call people who are trained and wise and learned, but most importantly called, to be of some use in the instruction of God's people. Now, that doesn't always have to be an ordained position, but nonetheless, there is enough in the text that is complicated. For Pete's sakes, Jesus explained to the people on the road to Emmaus, and they're still struggling with the implications when Peter can't figure out whether or not he can go to a Roman's house and have bacon. And by the way, according to everybody Saturday, the bacon was good. You missed out. But there'll be more bacon. They're still unpacking it. The apostles themselves kept learning. They taught others. There is this understanding that we come together in worship, not to be humble before the minister, but before one another and the Holy Spirit as we speak. Everybody knows that we learned something from God's word from Amy this morning. As she reminded us that we often need to hear Jesus in his own words. I needed to hear that. It's not enough that I knew the text and could quote some of the texts that Amy was speaking of. I know Romans 5 well. Did I need to hear it from her? Amen. We need to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through one another. And we need to expect the richness of that, right? So yes, there is official teaching at a certain level that is authoritative, that we can unpack that fun thing for a little while, and maybe at coffee time we can. But we need to be taught and we need to realize that this second part of it, which is the corporate fellowship part, is every bit as important as the authoritative teaching or the apostles' teaching or the direction from them because there is this communal reality of sharing one another. It's a commitment to it. It is a fellowship that, again, if we use that word only in the loose sense of coffee time, it's less helpful. If we think about it in Tolkien's sense of the fellowship of the ring, it's a commitment to one another. Don't come to church because I feel bad if there's a few seats empty. Come to church because you need to be here for others and for yourself. See, the fellowship doesn't work if the voices aren't in the room. If we're not sharing the richness of who God is as we sing and read scripture, it is a part of that encouraging the fellowship to come together. The body is made whole when it gathers together. They fellowshiped on Sunday morning. They came together in worship corporately because God is building a building of human beings, a body itself of living stones. We need the richness of corporate worship. God's people gathered together. I need my eyes taken off myself and put on Christ. And sometimes I'm not very good at doing that by myself. I need to hear from you, your prayers. There are times we take opportunity 
to not just say prayers in the silence of our hearts, but we're encouraged to share prayers during the prayers of the people. We should probably give you a fair chance to know if we're going to do it next week, but the idea that that would be a blessing to others, that your words were meant to encourage another, to pray out loud in the midst of that, not for yourself, but for those gathered around you, assuming that God could use that positively in their lives, whether it's a confession or a praise, whether it's a concern that we forget to raise that's sensitive to your hearts, that resonates with another, whatever way in which it may build that reality. Fellowship, the fellowship that's described and unpacked in this passage in Acts means that it's going to be really hard for me to keep my eyes on me because somehow I'm going to become generous and if you have a need, I help take care of it as a part of the corporate body. I'm no longer thinking about how little I have. I seem to be somewhat more conscious of the fact that there are needs outside myself without being berated, but because I'm in fellowship, because I'm in the midst of a context of a community that allows me to get my eyes up and to see Jesus and in the context of seeing Jesus, to see those gathered around with me, worshiping in this amazing assembly that God calls together. I need to hear you say, look, there he is. When I am looking into my own despair and saying, there is no one with me. We need and maybe it's just singing the hymn loud enough so the person next to you can hear. And that hymn itself reminds us of the closeness of God, that heaven was brought down, that the presence of God was brought into this world. And as we sing that song together, somebody may need to hear those words sung from you, not just printed on a page. One of the things that I'm known for doing, I want to encourage this, Sean does a wonderful job of reading, as does other readers. Close your eyes and just listen. Your job is not to see if Sean reads all the words right. This is not a Berean time. There is no unpacking that Sean's doing. You don't need to see if Sean did it right. What you need to do is hear God's word read and see. See through the eyes of your heart the goodness of God's word read out loud in corporate worship. Close your eyes and listen to the good news. It's a privilege to hear God's word read to you. There's a way in which corporate worship allows us to have lots of different personalities involved for our good, right? So again, and I could stretch this too far, but I probably will. But there's something about, let's say, having an extroverted human being who delights to speak loudly and, and excitedly do the call to worship because I need to be reminded that this is an exciting thing. And if I'm an introvert and that seems overwhelming at that moment, maybe I shouldn't be defaulting to my personality type because broadly speaking, it isn't always exactly the right way to be. And I may need challenged in being an introvert to recognize the extroverted celebration and joyous, unchecked emotion that often happens in Scripture when people come into the presence of a living God. And there is a time in which I need the introspection of that introvert to say, let us be still and know that He is God as we come to a place of prayer or confession. 
And the extrovert is going, I want to keep going loud and I want to keep going because I don't want to stop and think. And you're going, no, maybe I need to be still and know that he is God. See, the beauty of fellowship is that one type should not dictate the flow of worship. It is, in fact, all of the richness and the strengths of those different personalities, those different backgrounds brought into the corporate fellowship that allows the richness, not emotional manipulation, but the challenge of the reality that we worship in spirit and in truth, which involves emotion in the heart. And if I'm left to myself, I will worship one way because I tend to be one type of person. And so there is fellowship. Then there is the breaking of the bread. Again, I could go on endlessly about the joy of the sacraments. The, 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 it's, it's just a wonderful thing. And the, the breaking of the bread that happens at the sacrament then gives us a context for breaking bread. I was just thinking recently, uh, you know, I got this phrase where I go, look, alcohol is a gift from God. Uh, the reality that fermentation is not a result of the fall. Fermentation would have happened prior to the fall, right? So this is a fine thing. The problem is that in my broken state, I have a tendency to use something that God created as proof of his blessing, proof of reality as a way to escape from reality, right? So how does the Lord's Supper help? Well, again, returning to the tradition of, of, of what Jesus did in using wine, what am I doing? We're modeling every week, this is the proper use of wine, celebration of reality, not the escape from reality, which can sometimes happen because of the overuse. We model the proper use. Not to mention what we do in fellowship and interacting with one another. It becomes a way in which the sacrament itself models a healthy lifestyle of family and community and fellowship. And generosity and the breaking of bread. And the way that a small amount can actually be multiplied by God to fill all the needs of his people physically, spiritually, and emotionally. It is just endless in a good sense the implications of the breaking of the bread. And every time we come forward every Sunday going, now I have context again for when I eat and I drink and who I eat with and who I drink with and what is meant by that, right? Because how can you come to communion having been a person that you were, even if you were raised in the church and you don't remember a day without Jesus, you know your own heart. And the fact that we could eat this sacrament and think that there were people not good enough to eat it with us. Instead of saying, who else needs to come to the table with me? Who is that broken soul? Who is that person lost in self-destruction that needs to be at this table with us? How do we pray for them? It is an invitation to people around us to break bread. It's a reminder that we are at the table, not because of our own goodness, but because of the grace of the one who set the meal for us. It gives us joy. It gives us perspective. It gives us humility. It is a beautiful thing. The last thing is the prayers, and I will hit this quickly. Uh, the prayers. Chances are, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray extemporaneously or that everything needs to be written down by any stretch of the imagination, it does mean we should probably know the prayer book of Scripture. 
right? It doesn't mean that I can't pray without knowing the Psalms, but I'll bet I will pray better if I do know the Psalms. The prayers is this recognition that they gather together, whether it was sung or whether it was spoken, whether it was out loud or silent, they prayed on purpose the prayers. And the prayers would have been prayers of praise, just as the Psalms go through the divinity and the, and the, and the enthronedness of God, the creative majesty of God the soul-crushing senses of sin and absence of God, the elation of having been restored, the importance of remembering history, God's faithfulness. You see, if I know the Psalms and if I pray the Psalms, I am more likely to have my extemporaneous prayers, those ones that come out of my own suffering, have a, a structure and a perspective, a wisdom. How do I engage with God? We have older saints who've gone before us inspired by God that help us see that all of our emotions have context in the prayers of the Psalms. And that as we know those Psalms, we can find in our own voices a way to pray with them. How much richer or better will my prayers be? Will our prayers be? It's why we read a Psalm pretty regularly as part of our Old Testament reading. Are we learning how to pray? Is our prayer life being enriched? As we pray for different things in the prayers of the people, as we pray during the uh, opening of our service, as we pray during the assurance, as we pray before communion, are those prayers informing how you think about your own prayer life? Do they become structures by which the rest of your week is formed. We know that what happened as they gathered together for the apostles' teaching, corporate worship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers is that they went out from that and their community, as it extended their fellowship, drew Jerusalem to them. It was a revolution. A revolution in how people could interact with one another and their God. And it was done in love and peace and yet firmness and without fear. Because we know very quickly that some will be less enamored. Some will begin to realize the revolution and its impacts on their own position within their culture and within their city. And they will not treat the leaders well. But that's their reaction. We can't define our actions by what the world may do in reaction to us. We're simply called to embrace the reality of what happens in the fellowship. What happens when we open our hearts to the teaching of God's word, when we listen to one another, when we delight in the richness and the fullness of the sacrament, and we dwell in the sure knowledge that our prayers, our conversation with God is a rich dialogue that brings life everything we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, again, bless the preaching of your word. We ask that you would be gracious to it. We thank you that you give us so many ways that you describe and unpack who you are for us. We pray that we would delight in that intimacy in ever greater degrees, individually and corporately. In Christ's name, amen.